Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us here in worship at East Shore Baptist Church. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor John. And again, I'm so glad you're here. Those of you here in the building, I'm also thankful for those of you who may be watching online. If you've been here at East Shore, we've been going through a series, studying through a particular book of the Bible, the Gospel of Mark. And as we've been doing that, we've been trying to answer this question, who is Jesus? It's been the title of this whole sermon series from when we started at the very beginning of Mark. What we've been doing is learning about Jesus. We've been discovering who he is. We've been piecing together clues throughout the book. We've been looking at the words Jesus says. We've been looking at the actions he takes. We've been looking at his encounters with the people he interacts with. And as we've been trying to answer this question, the characters we've met in this book have been asking this question as well, especially those closest to him, his 12 disciples. If you were here, you may recall when we were in Mark chapter 4, Jesus had just calmed a storm, and this is what his disciples did. They were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this? Who is this that even the wind and sea obey him. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Well, today we are in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30, and today we have our answer. Today that question is answered. Jesus point blank asked his disciples who he is. The passage we're looking at today is the key turning point of this whole book. It's a well-known episode and count. It's a well-known conversation. We can find it elsewhere in Matthew chapter 16 and Luke chapter 9. But here in the Gospel of Mark, it's really unique because it's almost exactly halfway through the book. It's to the end of chapter 8. Mark is 16 chapters long. We are smack dab in the middle. Everything that has happened so far has built up to this point. Everything that's going to happen after this is a result of this conversation. It flows from these verses. Pastor Tom talked a lot about this last week. He had the passage just before this, and he talked very well about how it fits into the larger context of Mark and of the Bible. For our purposes today, though, I really want us to think about this question, who is Jesus? Because Mark, the author, in writing this book, is challenging those of us who are reading it and hearing it to ask the same question of ourselves. Who is this Jesus? Who do I think that he is? And what we're going to see in our passage today is a couple answers about that. We're going to see a location where the people didn't care about Jesus. He didn't matter to them. We're going to hear some opinions. Some people think he is a prophet, a speaker of God's truth, like someone like John the Baptist or like the Old Testament prophet Elijah. But there's one person, one disciple, who's going to say, Jesus is you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. My challenge for you this morning is, is that your answer to the question, who is Jesus? So what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about the text, but I'm going to phrase it as I'm presenting three options in front of you, three answers you can have to the question, who is Jesus? And you must choose one of those answers. God will hold you accountable to who you think his son is. You must choose one of these options. So think well over the options we will discuss. And also think about what you do with that answer. 
Does it change your life? Does it impact you? Is it something you share with others? Let's turn to our passage and find out. If you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 27 through 30. And if you are able, I would ask you, if you can, to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word and follow along, because I'm going to read our passage for today. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is Mark, chapter 8. If you're looking on the page, the big eight, little 27 through 30. Verse 27 tells us that Jesus went on, he traveled on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach this key text in this book, help our minds to be focused on the question of who is your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to see these words and see that your son matters very much, that he's so much more than a prophet. He is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who died for us, the one who rose to new life so that we might have new life forever with you. Help us to see him clearly. Push away the other distractions and thoughts so that we may be focused on who you are. May we see Jesus clearly. May he increase in our minds so that we worship him, that we live for him, that he changes us. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Pastor Tom shared about how Jesus healed a blind man. He heals this blind man, and then his disciples travel, and they travel to an area where most of the people would hold to this first option, this first response to the question, who is Jesus? One option you could take is to say, well, Jesus doesn't matter. That's my choice I'm going to make. Jesus does not matter to me. And this is an attitude that many people have about Jesus. Perhaps they've never heard of him at all, so he doesn't matter because they don't know who he is. But maybe they have heard of him and they've decided, okay, I've heard of Jesus, but it doesn't make any difference in my life. I don't care. Jesus doesn't matter to me. We see this in how Jesus and his disciples are said to travel to the villages, the towns, or the outskirts of a place known as Caesarea Philippi. We see that in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This city, Caesarea Philippi, is in the northern part of what's today Israel. It's near the source of the famous Jordan River. It's actually about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is near the top, and it's another 25 miles up. But at this day and age, when Jesus is around, this city is a pagan center of worship. It's a place with lots of different temples to different gods. Some to old gods from the Old Testament like Baal, some to gods that were newer in that day, Greek gods like the god Pan. 
Shortly after Jesus' time, they would build temples to worship the Roman emperor, to worship Caesar. It was a place of pagan worship. It had multiple temples carved into the hillside. You can actually see it a little bit in this picture. This is a picture that someone in a group I was with who went to Israel took when we were there at Caesarea Philippi. There's some temples and caves carved in to the side of this mountain. This is where Jesus was heading. This was a place where people did not care about Jesus. They didn't care about the one true God. They lived their lives to appease these false gods that they worshipped at these temples. And it's on the way that Jesus asked this question to his disciples, who do people say that I am? He liked to ask them questions as they traveled to teach them. But here in this moment, he's encouraging them to think, to reflect on what they have experienced with him and what other people have experienced of him. And so he asked them, who do people say that I am? But it's very interesting that Jesus brings that up as they're on their way to this place because they're surrounded by people who do not care about him at all. And the reason I brought this out is to flesh out this option. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't care about Jesus. Maybe Jesus does not matter to you. Maybe you're just here in church because someone dragged you here. Someone said, I want you to come with me and you felt like you couldn't get out of it. Or maybe you're watching, just stumbled across this, and Jesus just doesn't matter to you. You don't care about him, or you're too busy to care about Jesus. Now, you may tell me, I don't really like that comparison. I'm not going to some temple carved into a mountain to worship a false god. But what you may do is build your life around something else other than the one true God. And if you build your life around something else, in God's sight, you are worshiping an idol. Maybe what you live for is money. I need to make more money. Maybe you think to yourself, I have a good motive. I want to provide for people. But money is what you primarily focus on. Maybe it's a position in your field at work. Well, if I do this, this, I can get that next promotion, that next position. And that's what your life is about. Maybe you build your life around your physical health. I want to train my body, make sure I keep living and I live as long as I possibly can. That's my main goal in life. Perhaps your life is about pleasure. Maybe it could be an immoral pleasure, like immoral sexual relations or illegal drugs, something like that. Or maybe it's what we would call a simple pleasure. Maybe your life is about your next meal. You love food. Maybe you enjoy particular entertainment. You're excited for the next movie, the next TV show, the next game that's coming out. Maybe you like sports, and that's what your life is wrapped around. What happens to this team or that team? Maybe what you live for is closer to home. Maybe you live for relationships you have in your life. Maybe you live for a relationship you have with a spouse or with a romantic partner or with your family or kids. The point I'm trying to make is maybe you're listening to me and your life is about something, but that something is not Jesus. Jesus doesn't matter to your life. Perhaps that's the option you would choose. However, I I must tell you there's a problem with choosing that option. The problem with choosing that option is the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. In John 14, Jesus is responding to a question and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father, no one can come to God except through me. Jesus is the only way. The Bible tells us something. It tells us that we will live forever 
You will live forever. It won't always be on this earth. You will die at some point. But after that, you will live forever. And that will be an eternity with God or an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And to God, those other things that we could live for that I listed a few minutes ago, those are idols. Those are competitors for the affection that we owe to Him. He's the one who made us. God's the one who gave us life and breath. He's the one who provides for us. He shows His love for us. And if we live for anything else to God, then we're worshiping an idol. We're worshiping a false god. That is sin. It pushes us away from the Lord. It separates us from Him. It earns us His wrath. And the only solution, the only way to fix that is through Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the absolute truth, the only hope for eternal life. He may not matter to you, but the truth is he does matter a lot. So that's one option. Maybe we'll look at a second option, another option. This is how the disciples respond to Jesus. They point out to Jesus when he asks the question that many people think that Jesus is a prophet. A prophet. Prophet. Look at verse 28 here. Verse 28, they, the disciples, say to him, who do people say that Jesus is? Well, they say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. I put these all together as prophets because both John the Baptist and Elijah were considered to be prophets. This was how many people thought of Jesus. He's a prophet, a messenger from God. And we've actually seen these three comparisons, John the Baptist, Elijah, another prophet, before. If you've been here earlier in Mark, people were talking about Jesus, including the king who was over this area. King Herod heard about Jesus. His name had been known. And this is what people were saying. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But for King Herod, when he heard it, he thought, it's John who I beheaded has been raised. So these were common opinions in the day. The disciples are telling Jesus, this is what people are saying about you. Uh, Let me talk about those people and flesh out why they were saying that. Some were saying Jesus must be John the Baptist, the prophet, the preacher who came before him, the one who urged people to repent and to show repentance by being baptized. John was one of Jesus's relatives. He baptized Jesus, and we read earlier in Mark, he was killed by the Roman ruler of that area known as King Herod. And why was he killed? Because John was bold. He stood up for truth. The king was willing to listen to him, and John was bold enough to tell the king, you have sinned against God. John was a bold person who spoke truth. Some people, they heard Jesus, they heard his bold words, and they said, you know, maybe he is John the Baptist. Come back to life again. But other people say, maybe he's Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was known for his prayer and for miracles that he did. And the things Jesus did reminded them of Elijah. And perhaps it also called to their mind some predictions in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they predicted that Elijah would return again. The very last words actually in our English version of the Old Testament say this, Behold, God speaking, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers 
and the, heart, the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land. These people were looking for the return of somebody like Elijah and before the Lord would come, before he would bring salvation. So some of them are saying, maybe Jesus is this guy. He's this Elijah who's telling us that the Lord is coming. They thought, they hoped that Jesus was this predicted leader. Now, Jesus himself will say, actually, John the Baptist fulfilled that role. But for our purposes today, some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, others just thought maybe Jesus is just a prophet in general. He's one sent by God to deliver a message. When we use the word prophet today, we often say, oh, he's somebody who predicts the future. But that's, that's not really a good definition of the word. A prophet is somebody who's been given a message by God to deliver. And they saw Jesus, he taught, he did things, they said, he must have a message from God. And again, we can see this other places. In Luke chapter 7, we read about Jesus raising a dead man back to life. And for the crowd, fear seized them all. They glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. And this report spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. Again, by saying a prophet, though, there may be more going on because the Old Testament predicted a great prophet would come at the end. In the book of Deuteronomy, God said to Moses, their greatest leader, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I'm going to put my words in his mouth. He shall speak all that I command him. And so maybe they were saying, maybe Jesus is this prophet like Moses, the one who will restore God's presence to his people. And all these options are, are very flattering. Most men would be honored to be considered a prophet, a messenger from God. But again, there's a problem with choosing this option. The problem is that Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than a prophet. As one scholar, J.C. Ryle, put it, every kind of opinion appears to have been current, excepting the one that was true. They were discussing many things about who Jesus could be, but they missed the full truth. Yes, Jesus is similar to those people. He's similar to John the Baptist in that he called for repentance. He did great miracles and he prayed like Elijah. And he is a prophet. He is one delivering a message from God. He is that great prophet that Moses predicted. But Jesus is more than that. His mission was not only to be a prophet, one who speaks a message, but to be a savior, one who does something for God's people. He came to completely change people's lives, to completely change their relationship with God. Many people in this day, though, they didn't want that. They liked the idea of a prophet. Prophets are cool. They're over there. They say cool things. I can listen to them. Uh, we think Jesus is great, but they didn't want to believe he was the Messiah, someone who was going to change everything about their lives. They were content to enjoy his work, listen to him from a distance. But Jesus came to change hearts, and lives. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, well, I wouldn't say that Jesus is a prophet like that. Why are you bringing this up? Because you might also have an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is. You would say, I'm not in the place that I don't care about Jesus, but I, I think he's a great moral teacher. He says a lot of good things. Maybe even there are things that come from God. I'd like to honor his work. I'd like to honor his legacy. I appreciate the words Jesus said, the teaching he gave, the example he left others. And in that sense, Jesus is like a prophet to you. He's someone who says good things, who did good things, but that's all he is. 
This is even a perspective that those of us who claim to be Christians can fall into. We could say, yes, uh, Jesus saved us, but when it comes to -to day-to-day life, Jesus is the one who told me things. He told me what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do. He gave me rules for life that I need to constantly live by in order to make God happy. That's who Jesus is. He's somebody who, who told me things, who instructed me on how to live. Or perhaps we view Jesus as a prophet in the sense that he's a mascot for a particular cause. Maybe he's a mascot for a political perspective we have. Oh, Jesus would be pro this. Jesus would be anti that. We use his symbol for, as a political tool. But if we just do that, if we just view him as a prophet, a teacher, a political figure, that's not enough. That's not who Jesus says that he is. If that's all you're doing, then you're actually misrepresenting him. You're actually denying who he really is because he claimed to be much more than a prophet. Let me dive into that. If you think that Jesus is just a moral teacher, he taught some good things, some good instruction, then uh, maybe you should read a little more carefully because he says some very weird, very strange things if he's just a teacher of moral truth. One example I came across was in Matthew 10. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set man against father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's a really weird thing for a moral teacher to say. I would say that's not a very good moral teacher. Or how about this? In John 6, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. That's also a really weird thing to say if you're just trying to teach me something or you're trying to be a political leader. In fact, those things don't make sense if that's all that he is. But if Jesus is more than that, if he is the Christ, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God and our Savior, the one who changes everything in our lives, well, then that's a different story. Because if you look at that Matthew passage then, if he's the Savior, Messiah, then he's going to completely change our lives. He's going to change our priorities, move us out of situations that are comfortable, like being with our family. He's going to move us out of that to follow him first and foremost. He's going to move us to a place we completely trust and follow him above all else. That's what it means to eat his flesh, drink his blood. Not to literally do that, but to be fully committed to him. He is more than a prophet. And so that brings us to the third option. If Jesus, I could say he doesn't matter. I could say he's just a prophet, a teacher, a political leader. Or I can say that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. This is what we see in verse 29. He pushes the disciples. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I put that you in italics there. It's very emphasized in this text. Other translations do some other things to bring out this emphasis. I don't have it up here, but like the NIV phrases it, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus is pushing them to make a decision because this is the key question of the book of Mark. This is what we've been building toward. The disciples have seen who Jesus is. They've seen what he has done. This is the question they need to answer. Let's, let's review a little bit. Let's talk about what, what did the disciples see? This isn't in order, but here are some of the things they saw. They saw this man be baptized and then filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They heard him preach with authority that they'd never heard before. They saw him heal people who were possessed by demons, including one man who was possessed by maybe thousands of demons. They saw him heal lepers, heal someone with a withered hand, heal a woman who had a bleeding issue that lasted for years and years. They saw him heal the deaf, heal the blind. They saw him calm a storm. They saw him raise a girl back from the dead. They saw him miraculously feed over 5,000 people in one case and 4,000 people in another. They saw this man walk on water. And putting all of that together, what is the answer they're going to come up with? This is the great moment of tension in the book of Mark. This is the moment of truth. As Pastor R.C. Sproul put it, have the disciples finally perceived what his miracles have demonstrated, what his teaching has proven, what he has been driving them to see, that he is the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. Will they get it? Well, the disciples' leader, Peter, speaks for them, and he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the divinely appointed leader and deliverer of God's people. And aside from the very first chapter of the book, this is the first time someone has said this here in Mark, has said, you are the Christ. I think this brings up an important point by having it in your outline. It's really a side note. Christ is not Jesus's last name. He didn't go around introducing himself as, hi, I'm Mr. Christ. That, that's it's not there. It's a title. It's a title. It's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the leader of God's people. Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the one ruler who is going to save God's people from their enemies. The Old Testament spoke of this one who was coming. The prophet Jeremiah wrote from the Lord, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for, from your great King David a righteous branch, a righteous descendant. He shall reign as king. He will deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. This is the name which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The prophet Daniel also spoke of him. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days to God and was presented before him. And what happened to this son of man? To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Peter saying, this Jesus is who you are. He makes the correct connection, the only acceptable answer to that question, who is Jesus? He finally sees clearly and understands who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has been trying to do. All those miracles, everything he said was to bring them to the point that they grasped and understood who he was. Last week, Pastor Tom talked about healing this blind man, and Jesus did one thing, and the blind man couldn't quite see, and then he did something else, and then he could. And just as that man gradually was able to see, the disciples have gradually begun to understand who Jesus is. This is the emphasis, the main point of this book, the Gospel of Mark. If we look at the beginning and the end of Mark, I believe Pastor Tom talked about both of these last week. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, 
that Mark is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And at the very end of Mark, in Mark 15, he's on the cross, and a Roman centurion who stood facing him and sees the way Jesus dies says, truly this man was the Son of God. That's the beginning, that's the end. And here, smack dab in the middle, we have Peter say, you are the Christ. And that's kind of remarkable if we think about it, because at the moment, the person he's talking to is not this great leader who's conquered and defeated all the enemies. Peter is traveling with a poor homeless man, and he's saying to him, you are this great leader. Even though this man has no obvious wealth or political power, Peter trusts him. He trusts that he is the one God's people have been waiting for, the one who will rule and save his people. What Peter doesn't know, though, is that this Messiah isn't going to come marching in with the armies right away. Instead, this Messiah is going to be humbled by dying and then raised to life, be exalted to the place of highest praise. In Peter's day, they expected that the Messiah would conquer everything, but Jesus is going to do things differently. His actions confused people, but his disciples trusted him. We read a similar conversation in John 6. Jesus says to them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Or in Mark's, the Gospel of Mark's words, you are the Christ. So in this series, we've been seeking to answer, who is Jesus? And here we have our answer. He is the Christ. Now you may say, well, we're only halfway through the book. Well, in the rest of the book, we'll learn what that means. Who is this Christ, this Messiah? What is he going to do? And what difference does that make in our lives? We'll talk about that. But for now, let's focus on this truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That truth changes everything. Pastor J.C. Ryle said, many know the name of Christ. Many acknowledge him as one who came into the world to save sinners. Many people regularly worship in buildings set apart for Christ's service. But few, few thoroughly realize that he is very God. He is their one mediator, the one high priest, the only source of life and peace their own shepherd, their own friend. So if this is true, then what are we called to do? Well, we are called to trust Jesus. We're called to make the same confession that Peter did, to say, Jesus, you are the Christ, our Savior. That statement is the basis of our faith. It's the rock on which the church itself is built. It's the truth that our sin, the wrong we do, those other idols that we worship, separated us from God. They pushed us away from Him. But Jesus, He lived perfectly. He died to pay for our sin. He rose to new life so that we could have life with God. He rose to restore our relationship with God. So is that your answer? Is your answer Jesus is the Christ? Do you know Him? Would you say He is your Christ, your Messiah? Those other options we talked about are, in one case, wrong. Jesus does matter. And they're also misleading. Yes, He was a prophet, but He is much more than a prophet. 
He is a Savior. He can be your Savior too. If you turn from sin and say, God, I'm turning from this sin that I have done. I admit that I've sinned. And instead, I'm believing and trusting fully in you. I confess that you are the Christ. I pray that if you haven't done that, you will talk to someone today about how can I call on Jesus as my Messiah, as my Savior. But maybe you're here and you have done that. If he is your Christ and your Savior, what should we do about that? What should we do? Well, we should tell others about Jesus. Tell others about Jesus. Now, you might push back on me at that point because you might say, Pastor John, we already read this passage and telling others is literally the opposite of what Jesus told his disciples to do. We, we read verse 30. It said, he, Jesus, strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So why did he do that? Why would, would you say to do the opposite? Well, let me start with Jesus. Why did Jesus say that? Well, Peter had a confession of Jesus as the Christ. That was amazing. That's a gift of God. It's absolutely true. But in Peter's mind, it was probably also a incomplete. He was expecting at some point Jesus would gather that army and march on Jerusalem, and instead Jesus would have to suffer and die for the sins of those separated from God. We'll unpack a bit more of that next week on Easter Sunday, but one verse we'll talk about next week is this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. As I already said, this passage is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Up till here, they've been discovering who Jesus is. At this point, Jesus now only has one place to go. He is on his way to the city of Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die. So that's why in our passage, Jesus tells them not to share that he is the Messiah at this time, because people would misunderstand what that meant. Even the disciples didn't understand him. We'll talk about it next week, that when Jesus says this on Mark 8, 31, Peter responds by saying, no, that's not true. And Jesus has to rebuke that false thinking. And so right here in our passage, Jesus knew they hadn't figured any, everything out. He knew he still had work to do. And so he asked them to remain quiet about this truth for now. He's not ready for a confrontation about this issue, but very soon he will be. When we get later to chapter 14, he remains quiet no more. It says he remains silent when he's under interrogation. He made no answer. So again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And here Jesus said, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus will be very clear about who he is, but here in chapter 8, it's not yet time for that. However, today in 2023, we are well on the other side of Jesus announcing that and his death and resurrection. So God does call us to tell others, to share this truth about who Jesus is. In our Bibles, the very ending of Mark has this verse. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or perhaps more famously in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does he want us to do with that authority he has? Go therefore, make disciples 
of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, tell others what I said and what I did. And we have hope because he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So today I presented three options for you about who Jesus is. I said, it's not a, if he doesn't matter, that's a problem because he says he's the only way. If you just say he's a prophet, he's a moral teacher, he's a political leader, well, that's a problem because he's more than that. But if your answer is he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is a savior, if that's your answer, then we have an obligation then to tell others about that, to tell the people in our lives, our friends, our relatives, those who are our acquaintances and neighbors, this is who Jesus is. This is the difference he made for me. This is the difference he can make for you. We should do that through our lives, how we live, through our conversations. We can also invite them to things, invite somebody who doesn't know him to the Easter extravaganza, or invite them next Sunday to church to hear more about who he is. The truth is Jesus does matter because he's more than a prophet. He is the Christ, and that makes him alone worthy of our worship.